Good morning, everybody. My name is DJ Martin, church pastor here at Parker Ford Church. Whether you're a member at Parker Ford or just joining us online, we're so glad to have you with us today. Today, we're continuing our series on faith, costly faith. And today, we'll be starting a new two-part teaching called Faith, Costly Faith, Faith When I'm Alone. The last several weeks, we looked at faith when it's dark. We looked at an Old Testament story and a New Testament story about darkness and having faith in the midst of that. Today and next week, we're going to be talking about faith when I'm alone. Throughout this morning's service, we want to invite you to be interactive and engage with the content. Maybe you're watching this with a family or with a friend, or perhaps you're alone. Either way, this service is designed to be engaging and interactive. And so your clue for when it's time to pause the video and either have a conversation with those you're with or just spend some time in personal reflection, when the slide comes up and it has the flowers on it or the leaves, that's your chance to pause the video and have a conversation. Or if you're alone, just spend some time in prayer or journaling with the Lord through those discussion questions. Just as a little bit of review as, as we continue our Costly Faith series, throughout this series we've been looking at expanding and broadening out our definition of what it means to be a people of faith. Often when people think of faith, they think about you know having personal de- devotions with God or perhaps having belief. And belief and personal devotions are certainly a part, they're, they're each components of what it means to be a person of faith. But the Greek word where we get, where we get faith in the scriptures, pistis, it has a, a range of meanings that, that include belief, but also include things like loyalty and allegiance. And so throughout this, throughout this series, what we're doing is we're seeking to broaden and expand our understanding and the depth of our comprehension of what it means to be people of faith. So we've been building a working definition of what faith is. And sort of our working definition that we're going off of is that faith is a trusting belief in the faithfulness of God founded or built upon a steadfast and loyal allegiance to the Messiah. And so we're looking at different stories that illustrate what it means to be a person of faith that has a belief and also has allegiance in God. We've been working on a memory verse over the last several weeks. We're going to continue that today. Our memory verse is Hebrews 11.6. And this is your first chance to pause the video and practice memorizing this verse. So you can pause the video here and just for a moment or two, a few minutes, read this verse out loud. And then maybe look away or close your eyes and see if you can say it. We've been doing it for about four weeks now. So maybe we're getting there. So go ahead and pause the video and then join us as we continue our service. This morning's call to worship comes from Psalm 139. When I was thinking about scriptures that illustrate faith when I'm alone, this one rises to the top, especially from the Psalms. You know, where can I run from your presence or flee from you? Whether I go to the heights or the depths, you're there with me. So for our call to worship this morning, I wanted to read this together. So I want to invite you to stand wherever you're at. Would you stand up if you're physically able? And let's read this out loud together. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. 
I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You can be seated. Before we go into this morning's teaching, I want to give you an opportunity to have a discussion or some time of reflection with the following questions. Have you ever felt like you were truly alone? That there was no one who could understand or fully comprehend you or what you were experiencing? This is an experience or a period of life that many people have or go through, a time of deep loneliness. What's that been like in your life? And can you think of any stories in the Bible of God walking a person through a period of loneliness? And obviously we're going to be talking about one of those stories today. But what comes to mind when you think about some of the the famous stories in Scripture? Can you think of a story of someone going through a profound or deep time of loneliness? So go ahead and talk about that and then join us for this morning's teaching, Faith When I'm Alone. In this morning's message, we're continuing our Costly Faith series, and today we're talking about faith when I'm alone. This will be the first part of a two-part teaching on loneliness and having faith, maintaining allegiance, belief, trust, loyalty in God in this season of deep loneliness. Before we get into today's scripture, we're going to be looking at the story of Elijah and his loneliness. Before we get into the scripture today or any further in the teaching, let's pause and pray and invite the Holy Spirit to lead us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the examples of those who have gone before us. And this story, the story of Elijah, has encouraged so many people throughout the ages. And so today, as we engage with this story, we pray that you would grow our own faith and strengthen it in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember a number of years ago, this is going back uh, probably before I was married, so a dozen to 13, 14 years ago, something like that. I I had uh, a friend ask me, what are you most afraid of? What do you most fear? Now, this person was a mentor in my life or is a mentor in my life. And so they're asking, just kind of challenging me to face some of the things that I struggle with. And without a moment's hesitation, I know. And I knew at that time the thing that I most feared. And I think it's shifted over the years. I, I doubt, I don't think that that would be the same way that I would answer today. But regardless, at the time, the thing I said without a hesitation, without a moment's hesitation, was I'm most afraid of being alone. Now, this was speaking out of some wounding that I had. Um, some difficult experiences were informing this answer. As uh, some of you know, I'm a missionary kid and have moved across the world several times, have moved across the United States um, a couple of times, have, have moved houses more times than I can remember off the top of my head and have lived in various places, and that's been really fun and has allowed me to have all sorts of really cool experiences and adventures, but it's also created some pretty profoundly lonely experiences, some times in life where it just felt like I was utterly alone and that no one could 
really understand me and I couldn't understand the people I was with after a disorienting move across the world. That kind of thing can do it to you, especially as a kid. And so when I was younger, my immediate response to this question, what are you most afraid of, was easy. It was, I'm most afraid of being alone. And I think many people can probably relate to that kind of fear. Perhaps you've experienced a deep level of loneliness in your life or a season when it felt like you were just utterly isolated. And that is such a difficult thing to walk through. Today we're going to be looking at Elijah, the prophet Elijah, going through an experience of deep and profound loneliness. Again, this is a part of our series, our Costly Faith series, and we've been working in this series to expand our understanding of faith. Faith is not just belief in God. It's much more than that. It is belief, but it's also it also speaks to a believing faith or an obedient faithfulness. And so there's an allegiance component. There's a loyalty component to faith. And so we're looking at this broader definition and applying it to some of the stories in scripture. And so today's text comes from 1 Kings chapter 19. This is right after Elijah has had his famous confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Uh, It's Elijah on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal are there and they're competing for their respective gods to answer them. The prophets of Baal are crying out, they're cutting themselves, they're whipping themselves, crying out that the fire of Baal may fall from heaven. And of course, nothing happens. And Elijah taunts them and says, what's the matter? Is your God asleep? Or, or perhaps he's relieving himself in the bathroom. And yet he has these, these great uh, sort of... Um, retorts uh, at them. And then Elijah dumps water over the sacrifice. He builds a trench around and he dumps buckets of water. And then he just prays a very simple prayer. He says, Lord, hear my prayer. Turn our hearts back to you. And then fire falls from heaven and it consumes the sacrifice. And Elijah then slaughters the prophets of Baal. And there's this moment of reformation happening. But then immediately afterwards, right off of this, you know, literal mountaintop experience for Elijah, everything is going to flip and change for him. And he's going to go from this profound victory to his lowest point of, of discouragement and depression. So we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 19. When Ahab, that's the wicked king, when he had gone home, he told his wicked wife Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Who knows why Elijah responded the way he did to the threats of Jezebel. I mean, just a few verses ago, we were reading about his faith in God and and this profound relationship he had with the Lord where he knew that he knew that he knew that God was who he uh, was, the one true God was God was who he said he is, that Yahweh was the uh, God Almighty and Baal was just just a fictional idol. And yet here this, this threat comes to him, a very real threat. Jezebel had very real power and was, was actually threatening his life. 
And for whatever reason, this threat strikes Elijah to the core. Perhaps it's because of the exhaustion of the experience that he's had, or perhaps it's a a cumulative uh, discouragement over watching Israel worship worship idols over and over again. Whatever it is that causes him to react the way that he does, when Jezebel threatens him, he gets so discouraged and so depressed that he wants to die. He's suicidal. He's having uh, suicidal ideation. He's thinking about his death. Now, he's not going to bring that about in his, with his own hands, but he's begging God, just in my life now, just let me die. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever been so discouraged by the circumstances in your life or so threatened by outward things pressing in on you or so isolated that you've just asked God if you could die. One of the great prophets in the scriptures, Elijah, who appears on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses to speak and comfort Jesus, really one of, one of the, the great figures in Jewish history, Elijah, was so depressed that he wanted to die, that he felt that level of discouragement in his spirit. It says in verse 5, then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. For some people, many people, when you're experiencing depression, all you want to do, all that you have energy to do is sleep. And this seems to be the case for Elijah as he's experiencing this profound, deep uh, discouragement. He just wants to sleep. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he laid down again. He just wants to sleep. He goes back to sleep. Verse 7, Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So coming out of this experience of depression where he just wants to die, there's this angelic um, appearance and this uh, feeding of Elijah, this heavenly food that appears. And then Elijah travels through the wilderness without eating or drinking for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and there's some, maybe there's some representation here of Israel traveling through the, the wilderness for 40 years. And he's, he's going to Mount Sinai. And Elijah is a type of Moses. He, he's similar to Moses in that he's receiving the word of God and giving it to people in a profound of, uh, time of slavery and darkness. And so he goes to Mount Sinai, the same mountain where Moses had received the Torah, where, where Moses had received the law, the commandments of God. And Elijah, this prophet, alone and exhausted and discouraged, he travels through the wilderness and comes to this mountain. Verse 9, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. Now listen to what he says here. He says, I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. I am the only one left. Elijah is looking around him, and he sees no one, no one who will worship God. No one who will represent Yahweh truthfully and faithfully. He feels completely and utterly 
isolated. He's alone. The Lord responds to him in verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. Now remember, I said there's echoes of what happened to Israel and Moses in this story. Remember when Moses, also in a time of discouragement, he asked the Lord to see Yahweh's glory, to see the Lord's glory. And so the Lord put Moses behind a rock on Mount Sinai. And then he put his hand in front of Moses to cover him. And then he passed by, his, the backside of the Lord's presence passed by Moses. And even that was too much for Moses to bear. So here's Elijah, the prophet, who's, who's taking up the mantle of Moses on the same mountain, also in a time of loneliness and discouragement. And the Lord calls him out to experience his presence. And so as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. It's often tempting for us to look for God in these massive earthquakes or fires or whatever. What the story is saying is that the presence of God comes in a profound and gentle way. It says in verse 12, and after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak so as not to see God, not to look upon him directly. He wraps his face in his cloak and he goes out and he stands and he stood at the entrance of the cave and a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Maholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Now listen to this. Verse 18, Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel, who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. The Lord, in this gentle whisper, meets his servant Elijah in his place of depression and discouragement. And he says, I have a plan for this nation. I have a king that I want you to anoint. I still have a mission for you to accomplish. And after you anoint him, you are to call your (laughs) the one who's to take up your mantle, your spiritual son, Elisha, and anoint him for the prophetic work that I have for him. And I want to encourage you, Elijah, that there are 7,000 brothers and sisters, young and old, who are faithful worshipers of God. In other words, what God is saying to Elijah is, I hear you, and I'm meeting you in this place of discouragement, and I'm not going to end your life today. 
but I am going to meet you in this place of depression and loneliness. And I'm going to encourage you with the truth and the mission that I have for you. And I'm also going to encourage you with this truth. You are not alone. I know that it feels like it. I know that it may feel like you are the only person that no one else can understand you or see you, but you are not alone. What did it look like for Elijah to maintain faith or allegiance and his belief in God or, or to lose it in this season of his life? What does it look like for you and me to hold on with faith, with allegiance, with hope to Christ when we're in a time of intense loneliness. As we wrap up this morning's teaching and the story of Elijah, I think that the Lord says the same thing to us when we're in a period of profound loneliness. You're not alone. (laughs) I'm with you. So as we close this time before this morning's benediction, I want to invite you to pause the video and have a time of reflection on the following questions. What did it look like for Elijah to maintain faith during this period of his life? And do you think he may have experienced doubt, anxiety, or depression? Have you experienced doubt, loneliness, or depression in a time of loneliness? And how has God met you there? Next week, we're going to bring part two of this teaching, and we're going to look at Jesus alone on the cross. So I want to invite you back next week to continue this teaching. After you've uh, discussed these questions here, join us for the benediction and the closing of today's service. There's something that's so powerful, so comforting, so transformative when someone is able to empathize with us, move past, move past just sympathy and into the realm of empathy. And for me, it's been an incredibly helpful thing to realize uh, the different struggles that people in scripture that we read about that they went through that are just like the struggles that you and I face. And there's an empathy that can be built built there in this story. You know the famous verse from Hebrews that says that Jesus was tempted in every way. And it's related to him being our high priest, our perfect high priest who's able to sympathize with us in our weakness. I hope that the story of Elijah and his own loneliness and depression and God meeting him so beautifully and intimately in that space is comforting and strengthening and encouraging to you today as we looked at faith when I'm alone. To close our service for the benediction, I wanted to read from Ephesians chapter 1, this beautiful passage where Paul is seeking to build the faith of these young believers. So as we close our service, I want to invite you to open up your hands in a posture of reception for the words uh, from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. The Apostle Paul says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself.
Amen. I pray that you would be filled with the fullness of Jesus Christ today, that you would be encouraged and know that you are not alone, that he is with you and that he has sent people into your life that love you as well. Hope you have a wonderful day. Go with God.